This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, my name is Diana Campbell, and I'm pleased to be here with you today for today's Macular Degeneration Chat, Surviving Without Driving. This chat is brought to you today by Bright Focus Foundation. Macular Degeneration is one of, Research is one of our programs here at Bright Focus. We fund exceptional scientific research worldwide to defeat Alzheimer's disease, macular degeneration, and glaucoma, and we provide expert information on these heartbreaking diseases. You can find much more information on our website, www.brightfocus.org. Um, now I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Catherine Frund, who will discuss how aging impacts our driving skills, explore alternatives to driving, as well as what you can do if there are not currently driving resources in your area. Catherine is the founder and president of Independent Transportation Network of America, ITN America. She chaired the task force to study the safe mobility of Maine's aging population, served on the advisory committee for the 2005 White House Conference on Aging, and as a National Transit Institute Fellow. She served for 12 years on the Transportation Research Board's Committee on the Safe Mobility of Seniors, where she co-chaired the Joint Subcommittee on Transportation Options for Seniors. In 2013, Catherine testified about ITN America and sustainable senior transportation before the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging. In her home state of Maine, she is a member of the Senior Driver Safety Coalition. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Um, I guess we'll start with just a quick, um, you know, intro as to what um, ITN America is and the Rides in Sight program in particular and the overall mission. Sure. Uh, ITN America is uh, the nation's first and only uh, national nonprofit uh, transportation network. We support uh, sustainable uh, transportation, community-based transportation in all different kinds of communities across the country. We provide technology, training, marketing, um, all kinds of support. Uh, and I guess that's it. Did you ask me something else? No, we can get more into Rides in Sight um, as we go. Um, as the founder, what prompted you to found ITN America and then subsequently the Rides in Sight um, kind of component of it? I know, um, you know, something sort of happens in everybody's life that makes them pay attention to a particular unmet need. You know, if, if someone in your family has cancer, you become interested in supporting nonprofits that help with cancer research or family support. Um, in my case, there was a member of my family who was involved in a traffic accident, a traffic crash, actually. And, you know, when I say that, most people think it was a parent or an older person, but, but it was actually uh, a child. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll say right up front, he's okay now. But when he was three, my son, when he was three, he was actually run over by an older driver, and he had a brain injury. He's fine now, but, um, you know, when something like that happens in anyone's life, they just kind of stop what they're doing and say, how in the world did this happen? Uh, and, and how do we fix it? How do we, how do we help people so that these kinds of 
unfortunate situations don't happen to somebody else. And so I started working on um, transportation for older adults. Um, I think the difference at that time between how other people were looking at it and the way I looked at it is people were primarily saying, you know, how do we test older drivers? How do we screen them? And, you know, the attitude was kind of what's wrong with these older drivers and how do we get them off the road? Um, and somehow or other, I just instinctively knew that that was not the right approach. Um, first of all, it doesn't solve the transportation problem. Every older driver who stops driving still needs transportation. But most of all, um, people's uh, bodies change as they age. Our bodies change as we age. And our ability to drive safely changes over time. And that's not anybody's fault. That's life. That's just life. Uh, and I really felt that, you know, I was sort of penalizing people or pointing a finger at them or blaming them for the normal changes of aging because those changes made safe driving either difficult or impossible was clearly the wrong approach. And what was broken, in, in my view, was not the people, but the transportation system. And so I began thinking about how do we create a transportation system that meets the needs of normally aging people. That was the approach that I took. And uh, well, let's see, I got the idea in 1989. It is 2023. <laughs> I've been working on it for a really long time. No, that's wonderful, and I, I love that you took, you know, a step back and took such a caring approach, um, you know, to an issue that realistically we're all going to face, you know, whether it's sooner or later, um, and that really, you know, impresses me, um, and I think that's great. I recently read a report um, from the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety that nearly 83% of older drivers report never speaking to a family member or physician about their safe driving ability. What does your experience tell us? Well, you know, what happens when people, uh, you know, vision changes, reaction times change, cognitive abilities slow down, um, but happens very gradually over time. And so people don't really realize how much uh, they've changed. Then that's normal. It's hard to realize it. But over time, you know, aging, um, I've heard people say that aging is like a child growing. If you look at them every day, you don't see it, but that you look back after a year and it's, oh, my goodness, you know, they're taller and they've got different teeth and, you know, all, all the things that happen, you know, the, the changes in your body when you age speed up just like they're faster when you're little. Um, and, and it does make a difference in people's ability to drive safely. The, the changes? In your body that affect your safe driving, believe it or not, begin at about the age of 35. And that, that's usually a big shock to people, but that's when it starts to happen. But it doesn't affect safety at that age because you still have tremendous number of skills. Driving is a bit, it's usually the most complex task that most people do. It's a complex task. You know, your hands and your feet, 
have to work in coordination in your mind and your eyes and your ears. Everything has to be working properly for you to be at the top of your game when you're driving. And as that changes, you can compensate with, you know, your other skills and abilities. But what happens is that about the age of 75, um, and I'm only two years away from that now, and I can already see changes in, in my body and my driving. Um, what happens is at about the age of 75 that the changes of age speed up and overtake the compensation that you can make as a skilled driver, and the crashes begin to go up. Um, the other thing that happens is people start to drive fewer miles. Um, but then that means that, and this is kind of counterintuitive, because people are trying really hard to be safe. Maybe they stop driving at night. Maybe they stop driving in the snow or the rain. Maybe they stop driving in, you know, busy times of day or busy locations, busy intersections. They avoid construction zones. You know, the compensations go on and on and on. But what happens is that even with all of those compensations, this is why it's counterintuitive, they still have people over 75 still have the highest fatal crash risk of any group except for the brand new teenage drivers. They're, they're more dangerous for different reasons. But older people, as they get older, become riskier and riskier and riskier. And younger people, as they get older, move into the years when they're safer and safer and safer. So uh, it's a long process. Um, I haven't seen any research, and I actually think it still needs to be done, about how long that transition period takes. But after 30 years or so in the trenches here, my sense of it is that it's about a 10-year transition, you know, that, you know, final point where you need to really move from the driver's seat into the passenger seat, um, so it's important to understand that it's happening and to think about it and and to try to uh, make a plan so that you can stay stay mobile, stay independent, do the things you want to do, even if you need to limit or stop driving, which almost everybody does. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to go more into that um, in just a moment, but we have a, um, a quick question from somebody listening. Are there particular symptoms that one should watch out for um, to know or certain, you know, cues that they might um, kind of notice that it, it may be time to really rethink um, their driving plans? Well, that's a great question. Yes, there are. Um, and, and the different kinds of behaviors have to do with different skills and abilities. But people, people who get lost when they're driving, that's a huge symptom of some sort of um, cognitive problem. You know, you know, routes that used to be familiar, all of a sudden you can't, re you can't find your house or you, you can't remember where the grocery store is. That, that's a very, very important symptom. People may not necessarily speak about it, but if you speak with them and ask them, they may tell you. Um, uh, another uh, symptom is um, just driving at the wrong speed. 
older people tend to drive slower. I think most people have noticed this. I know certainly my children accuse me of driving too slowly, but then again, I accuse them of, uh, or I point out to them, shall we say, that they drive very fast. Um, but what you're doing when you're slowing down like that is you're slowing down the rate of sensory data that you're taking in, and your, your processing of that data is slower. And so you're just trying to, you know, process it so that you can do it. Um, merging with traffic, if you see older people taking a really long time trying to merge onto the interstate, that's a symptom. And that's because it becomes more difficult to judge the speed and distance of an oncoming vehicle. Uh, it's the same reason why there's, you know, older people turning left. When you turn left in an intersection, you've got to turn left across oncoming traffic unless it's a protected left-hand turn signal. And judging the speed and distance of that oncoming vehicle is so much more difficult that older adults' crash rate turning left is 17 times higher than the average population. So, so that's, that's a symptom, merging with traffic, judging the speed and distance of oncoming. And then the big serious one, which, you know, sometimes you'll read in the newspaper of a crash where someone will, you know, drive into the bank or, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts, go through the wall or something, and they'll swear that they were stepping on the brake, but they were actually stepping on the gas pedal. That's actually got a name. That's a gas pedal accident. That's usually people stop driving after that, but you really don't want to wait till that happens. That happens because of mental confusion, and it also happens because of neuropathy, which is they lose the feeling in their feet, and they can't tell which pedal they're on. Those, those are the symptoms that really come to mind for me mostly. Um, and, I mean, that's all I can think of right now. That was a great question. That was a great question. Um, I agree, and that was um, those are really helpful answers. Um, thank you. So kind of sure. um, looping back to where we left off before that question, um, you know, you mentioned a 10-year transition, you know, between driver's seat and passenger seat. What is the mm -hmm. right time to consider um, alternatives to driving? Um, you know, I think at about the age of 75, you should be thinking about it. Um, and um, it, it is really important for families it's a family issue. It's absolutely a family issue. And even if adult children don't live near their parents, it's important to have the conversation. And um, I, I've, I don't even know where they are now, but I wrote a number of blogs on this a number of years ago. Um, I have some suggestions for our listeners about how to, how to approach this conversation. Um, and this may sound a little corny, but I actually always recommend beginning this conversation by telling someone that you love them. Because it, it's a very difficult conversation, not just for adult children, but for their parents. Um, the, the study that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company did a number of years ago uh, said that actually uh, parents were willing to have the conversation, but it was the adult children who were really, really frightened of having that conversation. So I think the best way to approach this is to, well, I'll tell you how I approached it with my mother and my stepfather, and, and it worked pretty well. Um, what I said was, 
you know, as, as you age, um, as we're all going to age, we, your family, want for you to be as independent as you want to be. We want to support you in that, and we want to talk with you about the choices you want to make. So, God forbid uh, something happens to your health that you didn't anticipate. For example, God forbid you have a stroke and you can't drive. Or even if it's not something as unpredictable as a stroke, what if you have to have your hip replaced? And how are you going to get around? How do you want to get around when you can't drive? And let's have a plan for that. What public transportation is available? What paratransit is available? Is there an application process? Would you like to take a taxi? Um, and is there a taxi company you can call so that when the time comes, you know what the number is? Is there a volunteer transportation service around? And, um, you know, we, we do have, and we can talk about it later, we do have a, a, a toll-free hotline people can call to find out what's available in their community. But, um, and, and we have a searchable online database. But the thing is that you can take the fear out of it by thinking of it in advance. And it's hard to do because you don't really want that to happen. Everybody wants to drive forever. Um, and I understand that. But, but there's a lot of things we want to be able to do forever. Um, and, you know, you just can't. Uh, that's life. Uh, so, so how do you be independent? How do you be in control? How do you make your own decisions? And how do you work with your family to do that? That's really important. And, you know, in my family anyway, we have different children have different conversations, depending on what those children's interest and expertise is. Um, and we tried to do it um, in as loving and understanding way as we could. So, you know, the person in the family who knew about insurance, he had the insurance conversation, uh, and I knew about transportation. I had the transportation conversation. There was an adult child in the family with a medical background, and that person said, you know, if you have to be taken to a hospital, which one do you want us to be sure you go to? And if you could just give us a list of the prescription drugs that you're taking so that we're sure that everything is taken care of for you. Basically, just to help people be independent um, and get the information you need to help them do that. And, um, you know, every family is different. So what happened in my family may not be what happens in another family. And, and I'm aware of that. But um, my parents at first said, we're not having this conversation. And then they said, okay, we get it. All right, what do you want to do? <laughs> it just You just have to be patient and... I think the most important thing is if you're talking to people about what they can't do and you're talking to people about what they give up, it's almost as though, you know, when your heart starts pounding and you can't hear anything anymore, that's what happens, I think. And what you really want is to have a conversation where people, however difficult it is, will be willing to talk with you and you can be helpful to them. So I hope I didn't just talk for too long. But anyway, that, that's what No, we're... no, not at all. Um, I think, you know, what a compassionate way to approach the topic. Um, you know, so many times you hear, you know, I don't know if this is on social media or online articles, you know, but how do you know when it's time to take the keys away? 
And that just feels so much more aggressive and, you know, like a confrontation. And, you know, the conversation you're describing, um, you know, is so caring and, and really a partnership, um, you know, gathering the needs, um, you know, of your loved one, but also, you know, expressing support. So, you know, that, that completely transforms that conversation into a different different kind of thing. Um, before we get in, um, into how um, Rides in Sight works and, you know, all the great information you have about that, I just wanted to ask quickly if you could talk about the concept of um, co-piloting co and, um, you know, how, how many people kind of tend to trend towards doing that and the dangers that that might present. It's just very, 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 very dangerous and lots of people do it. Um, you know, there'll be someone with uh, good vision <laughs> who can drive, but who has dementia. This is classic. And there'll be someone with bad vision and no dementia telling the person who is driving what to do um, or vice versa, you know. Uh, and it, it's just extremely dangerous. And um, uh, I hope, I, I don't want to share with you the horror stories of people getting killed, but they do. Um, and so uh, if, you, if you notice that your loved ones are doing this, or if any of the people listening are doing this, uh, please try to do something much safer than that. Uh, use an alternative, um, find some options for how you can be independent, stay in your home, go to the places you wanna go without, without doing anything that risky. I, nobody wants to be the person who hurts someone else. Um, but but that's what happens, or they could hurt themselves. So thanks for asking that question. It's very common practice, and it's really high risk. Sure thing. Among other things, I mean, you know, if there's someone in my passenger seat that, you know, kind of wishes they were the one driving and gives me too many instructions that I really don't need, it's actually very stressful for the driver, too, um, in my opinion, to, mm -hmm. you know, to just hear constant kind of input, you know, and if, if you're already having a little bit of trouble with processing, you know, or you're really trying to focus, um, even that alone can be yeah. um, stressful. So let's talk I, about, I um, oh, <laughs> go ahead, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you didn't cut me off. I just said I, I agree with you, you know, and, you know, keep the radio off and don't be eating Burger King while you're driving, you know, just drive. <laughs> <laughs> agree. Um, so let's talk a bit about, about your program, about Rides in Sight um, and how that works and, you know, how it's um, kind of able to fill this gap um, for many, many people across the country um, that still want to maintain yeah. that independence um, but have decided, you know, on their own or in concert with their families that driving is no longer safe for them to do. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, it's, a, it's a resource that is available to the public at no charge. It was, uh, actually, we didn't think of doing it. Um, a pharmaceutical company, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, came to us and said, can you can you create a toll-free hotline that anyone anywhere in the country can call and find out what are the transportation options available to them in their community? And because of the work we do, we really 
we said, actually, yes, we can do that. Uh, we know what questions to ask to set up the right kind of database, and we build technology so we can build that database on a website and we can staff it. We will do it. Um, and, but we would like to make that database available to the public for free. We, we're a charitable organization. It's what we do. Uh, and, and they said, fine, you can do that. So we, we built it. It took about a year to put all the information in it and research it, and we continuously uh, clean and update that database, which, you know, you can say something like that really quickly, but it's actually uh, a very big deal. There's a lot of databases that are put up online and then they're not, they're not maintained. So you want it to be as current as possible. So we go through the whole United States, and when we finish, we start again and go through the whole United States again. There are about 9,000 transportation services available in the Rise Insight database, um, and you can search that at, you know, riseinsight.org, um, and you can call the number, and can I say what the number is? Of course, please do. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's 855-607-4300. And that hotline's open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And if you call at a time when we're not there and leave a message, we'll get back to you the next business day. Um, and if you happen to call about a community where we don't know what your options are, we'll find out what they are and we'll get back to you. It's a very specialized database because it's built for people with visual impairments and for people with uh, mobility challenges which is a lot of older adults. Uh, and so there are a lot of different, uh, for those of you who know software, a lot of different fields uh, with information. You know, we can, for example, if you're a veteran and you wanna know what's available for veterans transportation, if you uh, are lower income and you need rides that are no cost, we can tell you what's available. If you need door-through-door -door service, if you need uh, a wheelchair accessible vehicle, if you are visually impaired, we, we've, we can sort the database by your special needs and then we can tell you what's available for you in your community, you know, whether you can pay or not pay, whatever there is, um, we can do that. You can search the database online yourself. We are in the process, and the way it's searched now is by county but we are in the process of completely rebuilding that. We're very excited about it. We've worked for a few years on how to get it just right. Um, and uh, our, our manager for that department, Joe Warren, this is his baby and he, he runs everything perfectly. Um, he's very, very proud of this database and, and this service uh, and makes sure that everything runs like a, like a slip watch, I would say. Um, so we are rebuilding it, and when it is rebuilt, I'm very happy to say that we're going to follow all the new uh, web content accessibility guidelines. So it's readable by JAWS, um, and it's for people who are colorblind. It's built so that people who are colorblind can see everything. Um, you can change the size of the font if you want it to be bigger font. So. Um, it's very, very accessible, uh, and that should be done. That rebuild should be done in four months. 
uh, for people who can't search it now themselves, they can call that hotline. Again, it's 855-607-4337. And it is our mission and our pleasure to serve people and help them with their transportation. That's just so wonderful. Um, and I think it's, you know, especially important for, um, you know, this audience of folks impacted by macular degeneration um, to have that phone number rather than just, you know, the the website. Um, you know, I know young those of us who are younger, you know, I say, well, it's so great for older people now because there's Uber and Lyft. There's a million different things they can do. And, you know, so many people have said how difficult that can be, you know, even just looking at the app or trying to verify the license plate or the picture of the driver, you know, and it ends up causing a little bit more, you know, stress and concern um, for safety. Um, you know, for those of us that are younger, it seems so easy, but, you know, there's plenty of people who don't have smartphones as well. So that, you know, that hotline right. is so important. Um, I, I wanted to um, just kind of have you touch a little bit more on the door-to-door. -door. I thought that was such a wonderful service that, you know, typically isn't provided by taxis or, or rideshare. Um, how does that work or what does that look like for, for someone who might need a little bit more assistance um, getting in and out of the car and, and to their door, you know, perhaps with packages or, you know, with a walker or, sure. you know, a cane or something like that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That is a very big issue for people. Sometimes they have a walker to fold uh, or a cane um, or one of those rolling walkers or sometimes they have a service animal with them. Um, Nonprofit volunteer transportation has a different orientation, I would say, attitude, mission uh, about what they do. The, the ride share services that are available in the higher density areas, the cities, um, you know, and first of all, I just want to say that Uber and Lyft do 70% of their rides in nine cities. And so in, in suburban and rural America, where three out of four older adults live, uh, there, there's very spotty Uber and Lyft service if there's any. And there's there's often spotty public transit service, so the nonprofit volunteer services are especially needed and desirable. Um, so uh, the the for-profit services also uh, the drivers are independent contractors, which means that they can't be told to provide door through door or arm through arm service. And I know that very often they do, but if they don't, there's very little you can do about it. Um, so uh, the nonprofit services uh, pride themselves generally on doing that. I know all the ITN uh, services, that's our national network, uh, uh, definitely provide door-through-door -door and arm-through-arm -arm services, carry packages, fold walkers, uh, offer an arm, uh, and, and we train the drivers on how to offer assistance to someone with visual impairment. Um, so that they can take your arm and you can guide them. Uh, and that's just, that's part of the ride, right? That's not extra, that's part of the ride. If people didn't need that kind of help, you know, they'd probably be driving, right? So uh, so we, we definitely do it. Um, and it, and we know it's helpful to people and helpful is what we wanna be. That's wonderful. And I know after we spoke the other day, um, you know, my, my parents are in that demographic, you know, 75 plus. 
um, and your staff was very helpful in, in sending me options in our area, and, and there were quite a few. Um, and I do live, you know, between two large metropolitan cities, but I was really impressed to see, you know, the, the variety of, of services that were available that, you know, even having lived here for a long time, I wasn't familiar with. Um, and we'll pursue that, you know, in our family. Um, great. So, great. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I guess, you know, the question remains, um, and this will kind of be the question we close out on, um, you know, in, in particular rural areas, let's say, or, you know, um, less populated areas in the country, um, if there are no options available, you know, I know you've mentioned um, assistance in setting up, you know, affiliates in different areas. Um, what does that look like, and how might one who's inspired to kind of, you know, be active and, you know, and looking to, to help themselves and others with setting up a service, what would that look like? Um, well, that's one of the major things that we do. Rides in Sight is one of four different programs that we have here. Um, there's another program called ITN Country, and we have a tremendous amount of support and materials for communities that don't have transportation options or don't have volunteer transportation options. And we can help people, oh, excuse me, we can help people set up a service, a brand new service in a community where it doesn't exist. And it's, sort of, it's like a, a transportation network using community resources, local community resources, volunteers, it might be a service started through a local town. It might be started through a senior center or an agency on aging. It might be started through a county government. Any nonprofit organization or any government agency can start one of these services, and they're extremely affordable. There's a tremendous amount of materials, but that's kind of the heart of what we're what we're doing now. Um, so let me let me share one more phone number and one more website. So if you live in a community that you feel doesn't have the kind of transportation options you want, you can check that out by calling Rides Inside. If there isn't enough in your community or you don't like what's available in your community and you'd like the kind of door-through-door, arm-through-arm service, call this number, 207-857. 9001. That's the ITN America um, general number. Leave a message if someone doesn't answer and we will get right back to you. I'll give you the number again, 207-857-9001. Or you can go to the ITN Country website and that's itncountry.org. And there's a form there, and that website is accessible. Uh, and uh, fill out that form with your contact information, and we will be very happy to get back to you and help you get something set up. Thank you so much. Um, and actually, we just had someone ask to spell out um, the rides in site. I realize there could be different ways to spell site. So it's R-I-D-E-S-I-N. S I G H T, like your vision site.org. Um, and again, this will be on the transcript um, when it's, you know, when it becomes available. So um, this is wonderful information and what a beautiful mission you have, Catherine. Um, I think this has been really, really helpful. 
I'm sure we'll be getting lots of questions, um, you know, and hopefully you'll be getting lots of calls. Um, I think, you know, this is a topic that whether people mention it or not, you know, and, and, and oftentimes, you know, in our programming that we do here, you know, it is a discussion topic. Um, but certainly it's something that in some way, shape, or form is on everyone's minds. Um, so thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank, thank you for inviting us. Uh, uh, it's our pleasure, and uh, I wish everybody on the call the very best. And please reach out to us if you need some help, and we will do our best. Thank you. Um, so for the audience, uh, I sincerely hope you found today's chat helpful. Catherine, before we conclude for today, are there final remarks you'd like to share with us? No, I think you've asked me a lot of questions, and I think we we kind of covered it. Um, I just, I guess, I thank you for the opportunity, and would really encourage people to reach out to us with any questions at all about their transportation, whether whether what exists in the community now, or if they would like to talk with someone about getting started in their community. Uh, we're here to help. So. Thanks, Diane. That's very much appreciated. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, and I'm sure we'll get, you know, the opportunity to make some connections, um, you know, with to you um, from, you know, people and our um, our listeners and other formats. Um, at any rate, thank you so much. And this concludes the Bright Focus Macular Chat. Have a wonderful day. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.